we look to the Ramchal and he describes this predicament that mankind is placed in with these divergent pulls. One pulling him towards the area of what he calls Shlemus completion and the other towards the area of Chisorin, deficiency, which are synonyms for good and bad. What's really interesting is his choice of wording. Why didn't he, why didn't he use Rav Toiv? The classic words for good and bad. Why did he refer to completion, wholeness, and lacking? There's a Gemara which says the following thing. Amar B'yoychanan says a great sage B'yoychanan that lived in the, in the, the bridge between the Tanoim and the Amoraim. B'yoychanan. B'yoychanan says, Ever katan yesh ba'adam. Ever katan yesh ba'adam. There's a small limb in a man. Mar ivoi masbioi, starve it. Satiated. Masbioi mar ivoi, satiated, starve it. A veiled reference to the male organ, sexual desire. Satiated, starve it. Starve it, satiated. What sense does that make? First Gomorrah, Gomorrah in Sukkah. Another Gomorrah, which deals with a similar topic. But before going to the other Gemara, let's delve into the. Oh, we'll, we'll mention the other Gemara. There's another Gemara. It's Omar Yitzchok. Yitzchok shall Adam mischadish Adam bechol yoyim. Your Yitzchok innovates, comes with something brand new every day. He doesn't repeat the old game again. He introduces chidushim, new ideas, new possible temptations which didn't exist previously. They're brand new. As it says, all the desires of his heart. Two Gemaras. I'd like to use the Ramchal's language as a starting point to define what those Gemaras could mean. When the Ramchal says a person's hung between, placed between, suspended between Chisaron and Shlemus, it means the following thing. When a person does the right things, it completes him. He becomes whole. The more whole you are, the less you need. The more satisfied you are, the more grounded you are, the more secure you are, because you have more stuff. If you reach, which is impossible, the ultimate sense of completion, so then you have everything. But the closer you get towards completion, the less lacking you are. The opposite, of course, is when a person takes on board if possible, something which depletes him. The more he has, the less he has. Uh, First of all, a a very simple example. A person that drinks an unhealthy liquid. The most extreme examples, poison. So if you have a little bit of poison, so then it messes up your physiological system partially. More poison, more. Lots of poison, completely. The more you have of the thing which causes you to be insufficient, that depletes your system, that undermines you, the more of the undermining stuff they have, the more undermined you are, the less of you that's left. The more stuff you have that builds you up, again another analogy, a person has a drink which gives his body all the required nutrients, so the stronger, going from purely a physiological perspective, the stronger his body becomes. The more he has, the stronger his body has. The more he feeds his body things which his body needs, 
exercise, nutrition, the better the body becomes. The more he depletes of its needs, the more negative things, the more he poisons it, the less he has. So the more you have of the chisorin, the less you have. The more you have of shlemus, the more you have. Now, that produces within a person a consequential effect. If a person has something and it creates a lack, so he feels the vacuum, the vacuum that the lack creates is more pronounced. Now, if in his mind a twist occurs and he seeks to fill up the missing part of self with more lacking stuff, so then ironically what happens is instead of him being satiated, he becomes hungry because now he has a greater lack. If he then thinks, if I have more of the lacking stuff, it will fill me up, and he engages and indulges in more of the lacking stuff, so then he becomes hungrier. And if he then thinks, well, the problem is because I need more of the stuff, and he has more of it, he becomes even hungrier until it creates a cycle where he becomes ever, ever more desperate. And the more he seeks to satisfy himself, the more desperate he becomes because he's engaging in something which creates lacking, not completion. Now, that's absolutely applicable. To the, to, the, to the absolute array of different addictive behaviors which plague us in our day-to-day lives. Classic, classic and perhaps the most easy to relate to example is obvious addictions like drug and smoking or alcohol addictions whereby a person starts off with a little bit and then the little bit appears to give him a lot. But really it's taken away a lot. So the resultant feeling is that instead of him feeling, oh my gosh, I have so much, he feels there's so much more to be had. That's called chisar and that's not called shlemus. He has a little bit and he feels, oh my gosh, okay, this is not enough. I need more. And then he has it more and he says, I need more. So every time he has it, he needs more, and 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 he needs more, until he can go straight down the road to death. Because he eventually, there's nothing left of him, so he dies. That's not seeing it from the addiction perspective, but from the spiritual perspective, is he creates a greater, greater, and greater, and greater, and greater, and greater, and lack, lack, more, lack, more, lack, more, lack, until he's totally lacking. It's interesting that the Yetzirah, is also called the Malachamavis, the angel of death. It will deplete you. Death is the ultimate lacking. Hair there, nothing left, gone. So the more a person engages in the negative side, which the Ramchal calls deficiency, the more deficient he becomes. But the problem is, it appears as something which will fill, it us, fill us up. So that's, let's say, in the area we chose was drug addiction. But it's true of any kind of addiction that you have, any kind of bad midah, that you pursue, leaves you pursuing that bad meter more and leaves you searching for more. The desire for power. If a little bit, the person becomes a gaba. <laughs> Starts off with gabas, next thing he's running for the Knesset. First of all, gabas, and then he becomes, ah, he likes the idea of arranging who should get what and when. Mmm, this feels good. I'm Powerful. Whoa, give him an idea, not him an idea. And he thinks, one second, I could do this on a larger scale. I want to become the Gabbai of all of Yerushalayim. And then he becomes like the head Gabbai. 
and then he gets appointed to, you know, he, gets, he goes and starts getting involved in politics until he can become the mayor, and he becomes the mayor, and he wants to become the president. And so all this is like, and everything, then he, he starts to pandy to the wants of others because he needs to satisfy that need. It's called the desire for covet, the desire for fame, or the desire for power. It's ambiguous exactly where, where it lies. Could happen with wealth as well. Wealth can dress itself up in that way as the person wants. How much? They asked a wealthy man, how much more do you need until you satisfy? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And when you have a little bit more, how much do you need? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Because rise chisoran, the more you have of it, the less you have. The more you need, the more you have, the less you have. The more you have, the less you have. The more you have, the less you have. The less you have, so that's called the first part of the Gemara. Must be I satiated. Mariva, you're starving it. Other side, Mariva, you put yourself away from that. You hold back and you don't engage in the pursuit of things which make you lacking. Rather, you desist from that desire, all of a sudden you're full. You don't feel that lacking. The temptations subside. And people can vouch for this. You take people, they have a particular addiction. When they actually manage to wean themselves off the addiction in a real and profound way, they don't feel empty, they feel full. The person has a negative habit that they were doing, and they rid themselves of the negative habit. They feel liberated. They don't feel imprisoned because they need that thing anymore. The person hasn't fully recovered from his addiction, so it's always residual desire. That means he hasn't fully recovered. When a person fully recovers, the thought of it, it becomes eventually repugnant. Don't bring it near me. So that's really a fascinating point of the Ramchal's choice of how a person is suspended between Chisoran and Shlemus. Because it's really strange. Why would we openly, it's like almost miraculous, how we engage, engage, we engage in self-destructive behavior. We, we openly, all of us, we do stuff which we know is going to wreck us. Like, how does it work? What's going on there? It's miraculous. So that's the second point I want to bring out in the Ramchal. That's the first Lashen. The second Lashen is, the, you know, the, one of the most easy traps to fall into, and I think we've discussed it in the context of this year before, is using the term, it was the Yetzirah that did it. It's a term which Bochim become accustomed to be used. used. You use it the whole time. Like you should have used it just now. If it would have called on you. And you would have Sorry, I wasn't present. It was my Yetzirah that was distracting me. Right, Yonatan? Right, your Yetzirah. It's a really scary look you've got. Um, so Yetzirah is, is a generic term which is the ultimate excuse for anything. But what does that phrase mean? And it's useless as a generic term. What is a Yetzirah? Maze, maze Yetzirah. What is a Yetzirah? So the Rabbi Yisrael Salanti in Iger Samus asks the question. He says on the one hand it appears to be that the Yetzirah is a pursuit of physical desires. It's the pleasures of the flesh. Seeking more and more gashmes. The gashmakite. Picture yourself, Joe. You look out from your sea view window, gigantic. 
just just beyond your luxury bed your room opens directly onto the beach you can hear the small waves gently crashing on the shore and the water of this paradise island is beautifully turquoise you can see clearly to the bottom as the tropical fish color up the otherwise pure azure nature of the water <coughs> sounds good and as you walk towards the beach in the shade of the palm tree you sit down on the comfortable deck chair padded for additional ease and on the side there's a remote control where you can beckon the waiter to provide you with all the goods that the world has to offer Bing! within seconds a waiter dressed in an immaculate white suit comes napkin over his right hand silver tray ready to serve sir what can we offer you this morning and you think to yourself in a mixture of tithe and covered hmm so good to be the king what does the king desire for breakfast and you say okay i'll have uh, two pieces of toast lightly toasted just a crust of brown on the top the generous spreading of butter on one side and two fried eggs sunny side up still mildly mildly liquidy at the top point towards the left thank you oh and please don't forget the orange juice and a small cup of espresso just to give me a bit of a jolt so I can engage in that wave splashing activity a bit later Gehenim, no? <laughs> that sounds pretty, pretty... I was thinking about it not being in it as Sorry? I was thinking about it but not being there. Oh, ah, that's Gehenim. The beginning is not being there, yeah. Being there is Ganadin. So if you look at it, if you analyze all the meters present there, there's Taiva, Desire. Feeding your desire. What's going to happen when you have that toast? What's going to make you? Well, what happens if the next day, through some act of fate, a gigantic hand comes down from the heavens and places you plump into the Orsamach dining room? <laughs> and you look around, searching for the sea view. There is no sea view. You sniff for the sea air, and there is no fragrant scent. And you say, well, maybe the waiter's still somewhere around. Unfortunately, he seems to have disappeared with the sea and the view. And there you are. And now what are you? You are severely deprived, lacking, have not. You've got uncomfortable seating arrangements. You've got revolting food. You've got a horrible location. So there's the taiva the desire there's the atlus the laziness that I'm going to sit there and do nothing I don't have to get up from the padded chair and get it for myself it's atlus it's taiva it's the covet of I'm in the position to tell him what to do he's there to serve me hmm. so those kind of those kind of activities nurture 
nourish the negativity of a person until he becomes pathologically lacking and lives a life of misery miserable miserable disastrous horrible beautiful delicious paradise island <laughs> isn't it interesting very counterintuitive because if we were to relate it on an intuitive basis we'd put most advertising agencies completely out of business <laughs> what do you mean you're selling me short that's not where it's at it's not at that it's at yes this is where it is I find myself a small dingy corner and in that dingy corner I've got a measured glass of water and a dry not necessarily too dry piece of bread and a smidgen of salt and I dip the bread for taste in the salt mmm I've got a half a slice today and then I go back to my room which is not really a room it's more just like a hole in the ground and I lie down on the stone floor and then I'm truly happy no Benigera well it's a good thing that we have this book in front of us let's give a peek and see what it says looks like a Pirke Avois looks like a Pirke Avois hmm interesting should go for David Perik let's look at Perik don't you always say that everything in the correct measure is good stop being so not extreme Joel it's your problem the problem is you're too moderate way too moderate don't you want life why are you asking practical questions you want to know how much the ticket to the island costs what do you want no, it sounds like you describe Richard Branson <laughs> no for for a physical addiction yes. what you describe is very it seems is very obvious you you deprive yourself of the of the substance and your body will withdraw and eventually fix itself but yes. a an addiction that is purely mental how do you deprive how do you deprive a thought how do you how do you deprive yourself of a mental addiction For power, the one for good question. Good, good, good. So we'll 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 get there. I just want to I just want to enlighten Joel over here. Anonymous Joel, not any specific Joel, just the notion of Joel. <laughs> In terms of what the Mishnah says. Kahi This is the way of Torah. Pas Bemelach Toichal. A nasty piece of bread with a smidgen of salt shalt you eat. Um, and then what happens? Well, don't worry, you've got something to drink as well. Is it Chateau Le Chateau 56? No. It's Mayim B'Masura Tishte. It's measured water thou shalt drink. Okay, well at least I've got <laughs> nice bedding. Well, it's Tishon. Sleep on the ground. And live a life of deprivation told us the other week you mustn't do that just because I said it last week doesn't mean I'm going to say that this week that was last week and then adds on the Tana and says and put your pursuit and your emphasis into Torah and if you do that what you're going to be what you're going to be so Petita would say well you'll be um, righteous or you'll be holy or you'll be a chachem 
says the Mishnah, if you do this, you'll be happy. You'll be happy. It's not going to hurt you. If you want happiness, if you want happiness, go home. Explain to your wife that you don't need the bed. <laughs> Tell her you like the supper, but you're going to feed it to the cats. <laughs> and as for the spring drink, down the drain, you're going to take some water from the tap. Fast it. Fast it. <laughs> That, that, that would work if everyone else wasn't having better stuff. Oh, so in other words, we just have to find the right community. I've right. got them. Oh, yeah? uh, oh, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Come with me. Come with me to where I live. <laughs> yeah, sure. Mm. No, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Makes me sure I look like Hollywood, where I live. Ramot's nice. Not my part of Ramot, the cave part. <laughs> underground tunnel part yes we've got people there they look at us and say oh how we dream of living in a hole in the ground you've got a hole in the ground we live all 26 of us in a brown paper bag <laughs> so, uh, good uh, again that was just a nice uh, digression but it, it brings a, it's very it's very under, it's very interesting you're 100% right I'm not talking practically and no you should not explain to your wife no you should not throw <laughs> something no you should not empty the spring bring no 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 in fact bring me the leftovers but the point is it's really interesting that the illusion of wealth and comfort is you'll be more fulfilled you'll be happier it's going to really enrich your life and the reality is very often, in other words, and this is, this, is, this is, I think, where the tricky point comes. There is definitely, it seems to be, a cut-off point where below that point, people will actually not be happy when they have a certain level of deprivation. It seems to be that they won't be happy. And above that point, it will make them also unhappy. It's like finding that beautiful balance of... of of you have you have what you need, you have nothing less than you need, and nothing more than you need. That's the ideal. Now that's obviously going to vary from person to person, and will probably vary at different stages of your life, and it will definitely vary based on your context. So, for example, you speak to your average South African, and you say, you know, South Africans. One of the things because of the the price, or because they live in big houses. So this person, you walk into his house, and I think to myself, gosh, I could house my neighbourhood in this house. <laughs> yeah. and uh, I say hi how are you doing and they say look the truth is this place is getting a bit cramped we're going to have to move you say well why is it getting a bit cramped you say well we've only got three bedrooms and we've got four children see and if you have two children in one bedroom so that's really cramped so he's being African and that's what the definition of cramped is and you say to him what if I said to you all six of you could live in a small little hut. I'll say, that's ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. So I'll say, well, why don't you come with me for a little drive? It's going to take approximately 15 minutes. So that's the beauty of South Africa. In 15 minutes away, you can drive into a township called Alexandra, and there you'll have eight people living in one room. And you say, well, they living in the same kind of rages as you. How come they doing it? <coughs> so in the apartheid area, the, obvious, the answer was obvious. Well, they are black. But in the post-apartheid area, you can't say that anymore, can you? 
So I understand. What do, what do you mean they're doing it, so why can't you do it? How come it's not cramped for them? Do you understand? So I imagine that the person who's living in Alexandria or Soweto, so for them, when they get like, you know, a bigger shanty, they go, whoa, look who's moving up in the world. And then, so, so people's limit, it's, and, it's, and it's fascinating that you, you can't see it. It's not, it's not, it's interesting. It's, it's a comparative, like we said, that thinking is very comparison based and you always compare it to the closest point. So you're comparing yourself to your neighbors. So if your neighbors are all living in houses and now your neighbors just moved out of their house because now they've got three kids and only four bedrooms and they, they're like more machmer than you. They realize a kid has to have a bedroom that he sleeps in and a bedroom he doesn't sleep in. Because otherwise he feels confined. Don't you have like having way, growing up with issues. <laughs> so, so it's very interesting. It's a very interesting point. For example, a person by choosing his location will choose a lot of the factors of his eternal life will be dictated by the place he chooses to live. Amazing, right? Eternity is based on the neighborhood. It's amazing. Eternity... So if you have a big house here, you'll get a big house there. I mean, that's a nice thing to think, but uh, no. No. It means as follows. Let's say, let's say you've got, you've got a, a, li- a crossroads decision in front of you. You could go live in B'nai Brak because right. you've got, you know, you've got, you can, you can even sell the house in Montreal and buy a one-bedroomed sixth floor with no elevator apartment in sweltering Benebrak without an air conditioner. That works. And that's one option. And for all you could go live in suburbia Montreal. Now look at every stage of your life how things are going to pan out differently. So what happens? Baruch Hashem, you have your first six children and now you have to fit them into the sixth floor apartment and there's, there's, there's two rooms. So what happens is you learn to have this gracious spirit. You learn to appreciate what's important, what's important. Your children learn to get along, to share, to develop a sense of camaraderie between them. The same thing occurs in, in Montreal where you've got your suburban house and you've got your six kids, but you know each one has two per room and there's a lot of space and you know the, the only thing that they, they're concerned about is it can can occur that they become concerned about who's using the iPad first. Khalila. <laughs> so so then what happens? It's a very different life. Very different life. You never all you chose was a place to live. But as a result of choosing the place to live, you chose all these other things at the same time. It's amazing. It's amazing how like a geographical location dictates enormous amounts about dictates the the sensibility that your children have. What kind of mentality will they have? What kind of things are they going to be seeing around them? It's amazing. It's actually quite... I mean, I'm, I'm making a bit of a caricature and going a bit extreme here. But it's really, really interesting how environment dictates, probably more importantly than anything else, what the reality of who you will be and who your children will be. By the way, I happen to be in a Ramat real estate, so if you guys want to invest in that in your eternal future come to me for a bargain of your lifetime and when I say the word lifetime I mean lifetime <laughs> it's like a whole new angle in real estate no? yeah you go I've got the worst apartment in the neighborhood but it's going to cost you you could have the nice apartment you're not going to want that you're not going to want that there's one you want that one it's got three rooms it has one two rooms and it's decrepit <laughs> Leaking seating, yes, that's going to cost you extra. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so, so why when you live like that you, you always want to get a better place you're not happy one second one second one second who, if, you, if, if who are you projecting on over here young man huh the, 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 the Mishnah says the Mishnah says when you live this way so then you feel fulfilled and you feel happy okay little secret like when I was younger we had a lot of floods due to the evil neighbors upstairs and it's not nice like it's just not nice your evil neighbors kept on flooding you yeah <laughs> <laughs> I understand understand it's just very hard to like it's hard to go to sleep with like water dripping exactly. on your forehead <laughs> and then you like doze off and then you doze off understand good so I think that's a really important point to pick up from next time dealing with flooding and the eight are higher thank you gentlemen I get